Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. In this week's episode, we chat with Wayne Stennett, a former Marine who began writing short stories in his spare time. In one of life's you-can't-make-this-stuff-up moments, Wayne's wife found one of his short stories written on the back of, well, you're going to have to listen to find out where. Anyway, she loved what she read and encouraged him to write more. The initial financial goal for Wayne's author business was to earn enough money to furnish his woodworking shop. That goal was met after the first few books in his Jesse McDermott adventure series. In this episode, we'll discuss how writing a prequel to answer reader questions propelled a surge in sales that continues to this day, and the publication schedule that allowed Wayne to publish 10 books in his Jesse McDermott series and three more in a spinoff series based on charity styles in the past three and a half years. We spend time discussing how he learned the business, the value he gets from an email list targeted exclusively to people who like to buy his books, the counterintuitive strategy he uses to get new subscribers to that email list, and his strategy for audiobooks. We get into more as well. It's a fantastic interview, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Before we get started, I want to thank some people for leaving podcast reviews over the past couple of months. Leaving podcast reviews at iTunes is not the easiest thing in the world to do. It, it takes time, and it, it takes some figuring out for, uh, for some people. Anyway, I really appreciate the reviews. DDBoy89, CC Reads, Mod City Media, Boat person and Aaron Digity Westside. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave those reviews. I'd also like to thank those of you who responded to my plea for show ideas last week. I got several great suggestions from email and a few were posted into the private author biz Facebook group. If you're not in the Facebook group or on the email list, you can take care of both those by checking out the show notes to this week's episode at theauthorbiz.com. There's a big email sign-up box on the right-hand side of the site, and the link to the Facebook group is near the bottom of each week's show notes. Okay, let's get this one started. My first question to Wayne was whether or not there was one thing he could point to that had an outsized impact on his success as an author. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, just persistence, probably, more than anything else. Uh, you know I'm a Marine, so we don't give up easy. And uh, <laughs> it's just the self-discipline of keeping at something, even though you're getting 100% full negati negativity in return. Uh, you publish your first book, and your mom and your sister and a couple of friends buy it. You become dejected because you're not, you know, an instant number one bestseller. And it happens with new writers all the time, but you have to have the tenacity and the self-discipline to stay with it and get the second book published and then the third and fourth and so on. But it's, it's definitely the self-discipline of sticking with it, knowing that eventually you're going to move the mountain. Is that something you've always had or is that something that you developed in the Marine Corps? Ah, jeez. The Marine Corps was a long time ago. <laughs> What's well, um, a Marine? Always a Marine, though. I would say I would say it's probably something that's been been instilled with me since you know since I was I was born. My dad was a 
ninth grade dropout and uh, carpenter. And uh, he'd go to work every day. He never took a vacation, never took days off. He took Sundays off, and that was it. And that, that work ethic that you develop as a child when you grow up with somebody that doesn't do anything but work, mm-hmm. it, it, it really enables you a lot. <laughs> All right. Now, you, you and I were talking earlier, and I know enough about your story to know that a long time before you were published, you started writing. You were writing short stories, and, and you were just sort of experiencing and uh, experimenting and developing your craft. Um, how did that evolve into you becoming a published writer? I started writing the, the Jesse McDermott stories uh, way back late 80s, probably. So that's, what, 30 years ago? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was mostly out of boredom. Uh, I had a job where I was an estimator for an HVAC company, and uh, I was required to stay from 8 to 4 every day. And I finished my work by, you know, 1 or 2, and I'd sit down at the computer, and I'd just make up stories. And uh, I developed a, the character, and then wrote several short stories and submitted those to uh, agents and publishers. And, of course, back in the 80s, there was no uh, self-publishing. So Mm -hmm. I got a whole bunch of uh, rejection letters. Um, Most of them didn't even respond. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, I was told not to give up my day job, so I just put everything put my storytelling on the back burner. I've always been a storyteller since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. make up stories with friends and stuff. And, uh, I just put everything on the back burner and life happened, got married, had kids. And then, uh, years and years later, my present wife found my divorce documents and I'd hadn't written several chapters on the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> And she said, you know, this is pretty good. So maybe maybe you should try this again. So I, I, I have never heard that before. <laughs> it's hey, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> but I, I did. I sat down. And I, I pulled. I, it took a while to do it because the original stories were on a the five and a half inch floppy disk. You know, the real you know, the, the, the bendable ones. You yeah. Know? Yeah, the actual floppy disks. Yeah. Uh, Well, there's not too many computers that have a floppy drive anymore. So when I found the floppy disks after many months of searching, I had to find a computer with a floppy drive. (laughs) (laughs) Then transfer them to CD and then get them onto my laptop. But uh, I compiled, I took the best two of those stories and kind of merged them and morphed them together, made Jesse a little bit older instead of, you know, a 20-something Marine. He's now a 30-something retired Marine. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, I just expanded on it and turned it into a novel. And what happened? This was – I know the first book was published in 2013. So when you were going through this process of compiling it into, it, into uh, this first book, was that 2013 or 2012? That was 2013. Uh, It started in July, I guess, early July. Mm -hmm. And by October, I had a a finished novel, or so I thought. And and then did you publish it? Uh, Probably 10 minutes after I typed the end. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't reread it. I hadn't had anybody else read it. There was no editing, no formatting, no just absolute. It was terrible. 
<laughs> well, you're not the first person to do that, and you're not the first really successful author who's who's done that. Oh yeah, yeah. There's been quite a few. So what happened? What was what was the response? Twenty three sales in ten weeks. And and that includes your mom and your sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mom's passed away, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. During that ten weeks, I was writing the second book. And I just completely put put the first one aside. I, I ignored it. I wasn't clicking constantly, refreshing the sales tab. I didn't know how much it had sold. I didn't know how little it had sold. Mm-hmm. And on the day that I published the second book, I finally checked my sales. 23 sales. And then two weeks later was the end of 2013. This was on December 18th. And two weeks later, both books had sold over 100 each. Really? So that just reinforced in my mind. So the second book drove the drove the sales of the first book, even though there were only only two at that time. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And did you go through the same publication process where you typed the end and then sent it to Amazon? No. By then, I, I had a friend whose wife was a retired English teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent I emailed her the. Uh, uh, manuscript for Fallen Palm, which was a, the first book. Okay. And she printed it out and took a red ink pen <laughs> and edited the book and then mailed it back to me. <laughs> and and what was your thinking when you opened that package and saw that red ink? Uh, well, it was like a teacher. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and I didn't know any better. It, it, I, I had no idea what, you know, how you know editing go is supposed to go and i just wanted somebody to read it and tell me if it was good or not mm-hmm. but here i am with like 300 printed pages and every single page is just covered with these red marks <laughs> so I, I i i went through the whole book redid it learned a little bit about formatting and put it back up on amazon about two weeks before the second book was published. So okay. the, second, the second book was edited before it was published. So that might have been a really good thing that you did, the idea of, of updating the first book before the second one came out. Yeah. Huh. But it, uh, it, what a, the majority of the sales were prior to that. Okay. So most of the sales were uh, friends and family. And I doubt any of them read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know that feeling. Um, let's let's spin forward into 2014. Then, what what were your expectations at this point? You've written a couple books. You've sold a couple hundred copies. Were you thinking, hmm, I might actually be able to make some money doing this? Well, the the whole idea was to make a little bit of money, mm-hmm. and I was. I wanted to. I was an over the road truck driver. I was. I'd leave on a Monday morning, and I wouldn't get back till 12 days later on a Friday and I'd spend two days at home and do it over again. And I wanted to be, I wanted to get off the road. I'd been doing it for 13 years and I'd had, I was about done and I wanted to build boats. I wanted to do woodworking. So I needed the tools. I've got the knowledge and my dad was a carpenter and, but I needed the tools and I needed a place to do it. I had a huge garage and uh, the whole premise of, Publishing the second book, first, well, the first two books, was to make enough money on the side to buy tools to outfit my woodworking shop. And okay. I only needed a couple thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. I made that in January of 2014. And was there a third book by then, or was that just the first two? 
No, that was just the first two. Wow. And I suddenly realized, well, I could probably do more than just buy some tools. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started work on the third book, and mm-hmm. the, the third one was Fallen Pride, and it had I had nothing to draw it from. It was uh, the first two books were based on the short stories. Okay. And by the time I got to writing Fallen Pride, I had nothing to draw from. And then my wife suggest, heard a news story and she suggested uh, a returning uh, Marine with uh, post-traumatic stress. And uh, so I started doing some research and talking to some other people. And and uh, one thing led to another. And by the, I started writing that third book. And then by, when it published in April 2014, Things really took off. Uh, I'd replaced my income as a truck driver at that point. And did you have confidence in your ability to go forward with this? Was that the time where you said, "Hey, I'm done with this truck driving thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write and be a full time writer now." I wouldn't call it confidence so much as cockiness. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. <laughs> and I, I, I saw that my income was replaced, mm-hmm. and I started writing a prequel to the first to the first three. And I came in off the road one Friday, parked my truck and was, you know, getting my laundry out and cleaning up and everything, getting ready to go home. And uh, the boss came out and told me that I had to move to a different truck. He and I didn't never got along. He, mm-hmm. I didn't like him. He didn't like me for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. But he started pushing the wrong buttons and I just turned around. I smiled at him. I said, here, Here's the keys. I'm out of here. And uh, I didn't even I didn't I didn't even clean out my truck. I said, just whatever tools are on there, give to the next driver. I don't care. I'm done with this. And I left. And, and what did your wife think? Uh, she thought I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had I had about two thousand dollars coming in that month. Mm-hmm. This was in this was in May, May fourteenth, uh, twenty fourteen. And I had $2,000 coming in that month for my writing and another week's pay as a truck driver. And that was it. Mm. I didn't know what was going to happen in June. And, but fortunately the, the prequel when it launched on May 28th took off like a skyrocket. And why did you decide to write the prequel? Uh, I started getting a lot of emails from, uh, readers wanting to know more about, uh, this character's backstory or this mm-hmm. character's back, all these side characters, you know, they, they got a good taste of what the main character's about, but they wanted to know about Rusty Thurman and how he came to be a bar owner in, in Marathon or Jimmy, uh, how Jimmy came to be a, a pot smoking first mate, you know? And <laughs> so I decided, well, I'll write the prequel and that'll answer all those questions. Huh. Interesting. Now, let's, let's take a break here. We're at uh, May of 2014, and let's just sort of talk about the first three books and the prequel sort of together. Um, how, how do, what genre are these in? I, 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 they could be adventure. They could be thrillers. They could be mystery-ish. How do you classify them? Um, adventure, mostly. Um, their, their primary genre is action-adventure, but if, all my, all my reviews say it's just action-packed and mm-hmm. nonstop action. Well, they're not. There's, you know, the main character gets in a bar fight and it lasts about 15 seconds, <laughs> which is true. I mean, I, I was a bouncer in a bar and 
a fight breaks out and it lasts about 10 or 15 seconds. Somebody gets hit and they go down and it's over. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so there's not a lot of action. It's a lot of adventure. Uh, I used to live in the keys. So the, the description of the surroundings and everything about the keys is, is all real. And just, it's about a, you know, a few days, a slice out of, of the character's life, just a few days of him, fishing and enjoying life and then something happens and then he has to respond. How do you think readers found you initially with those first few books? What were they what were they looking for that they came across you? I really don't know, but I'm really glad they did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the there are, I read primarily action adventure, mystery, thriller type novels mm-hmm. and I prefer those that are set in South Florida in the Florida Keys. And that's I've I've read James Hall, you know Carl Hyacin, Randy Wayne White, uh, John D. McDonald, all these South Florida writers, and so that's what I decided to write. You know, that's what I knew. I grew up in Florida, lived in the Keys for a while, so that was what I decided to write. And uh, it's a very underserved market, aside from those four that I mentioned. One of which, James John McDonald, he's dead. He's been, he's passed away thirty years ago. And his books are still in the top 10,000. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, anybody who likes to read the kind of books you write has probably read every single one of the Travis McGee books. Oh, absolutely. I've read every one of them at least five or six times. I'm rereading the entire series now. Yeah, I am I am with you. I've I've read them all multiple times. And then I when Audible started doing the audiobooks, I, I got the audiobooks so that I could listen to them when I was driving around. It's just I mean I live in Florida because of John D. McDonald. <laughs> well, I grew I grew up over in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and I was uh, I turned sixteen in uh, what was nineteen seventy four seventy five, and McDonald's was he he was in his heyday. I was waiting on every book, and uh, when I got my driver's license, first trip, first place I had to go, you know, was Fort Lauderdale. Go to Bahamar uh, Marina and find Slip F eighteen and meet Travis McGee. It, it was such a huge letdown. I was like. Man, I thought this guy was real. <laughs> and that uh, that's the kind of books I like to read where the where you where you, a long series like that, mm-hmm. like uh Doc Ford with uh Randy Wayne White. Mm-hmm. And you get to know the characters and you get to know their life and their background and their history and their friends and and they become real. And Travis McGee is just as real today as he was in 1974. Yeah, it, I and I, I feel exactly the same way. All right, so we're we're still in 2014, and you've got these three books and a prequel. Have you started doing any advertising or marketing yet, or are you just writing books and putting them out there? Well, it was just before I published the third one that I found Kindle boards, and uh, I learned. I mean, you you've been to K boards. Mm-hmm. There's a, such a wealth of knowledge you can. You can earn a PhD in self-publishing in just a few months reading the reading the forums, but I found that and I found learned about advertising, and I kept hearing this word bookbub, <laughs> and so I, I, I looked it up and I, oh my gosh, two hundred dollars for an ad? No, I can't do that. So I passed on it and finally, uh, just before. Or no, right after Fallen Pride was released, the third book, uh, April 28th was the first first time I got in BookBub. And it was a discount ad, and it sold, you know, two or 300 copies. And then I applied for another one, and 
got it. And the second book, Fallen Hunter, was in it. And it sold, you know, about a thousand copies. So when I when the uh, prequel came out, I applied immediately to BookBub to try to get another one. And with only six or seven reviews, and they accepted it, scheduled it for August 1st. And August was a $23,000 month. Holy cow. I, I said it, uh, uh, it was a free, the prequel Fallen Out was free for mm-hmm. that one day and had 16,000, 17,000 downloads. And then when it came off for free, it suddenly started climbing up the charts, dragging all the other two books right along with it. But unbelievable. I, that $23,000, August of 2014, I didn't make that much again until September of 2015, over a year later. So it, it, was, it was a big benchmark. And did you have things in place at that time to drive readers to your email list or to your Facebook profile or whatever your social media platform of choice is? Well, all of that came about all pretty much at the same time. When okay. I found, when I found K boards, mm-hmm. I learned the importance of having, you know, a website, a blog, Facebook presence, mailing list. And so I started my mailing list and I grew it from just like, I think the first email I sent was to 10 people mm-hmm. and I started the only, the only way you can, there's no, the only links to my mailing list are on my webpage. I don't put them in my books. I, I, I invite people to go to my website and join. And, uh, that seems to weed out all the, you know, the, the freebies seekers and the discount seekers. And I want, I want readers. Now, that's interesting. That's something that was probably contrary to what you read in K-Boards, isn't it? It is, but it just didn't strike me as being rational to have 10,000 people on a mailing list that all joined to get something for free. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give away stuff. I want to sell stuff. So right now, my, my mailing list is only 30, about 34, 3,500. It's still a very small mailing list, but they're all 100% organic. All of them subscribed just to get updates about my books and nothing more. Have you done any email list-specific advertising? Meaning, meaning, have you taken out a Facebook ad to say, join my email list? It's, it sounds like you do mostly organic. No, it's all the only... The only well, there's a there's a link to join my mailing list on my Facebook page, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't invite people to do it. Uh, most of them joined because they read the books, liked it apparently, and saw the invitation at the end of the book to join join the mailing list, and they went to my website. And there's not even the link to my website is there, but uh, they have to go to my website and then subscribe and then confirm the subscription after that they get an email to confirm it so it's not easy to get on my mailing list and that's that's the way i that's the way i want it i want those people who are gonna well for lack of a better word perform for me and when i have a new release and i send this email out i get a thousand sales within the first 12 hours what's what's the open rate when you do that um, above 80%. Okay. So how many of those are then clicking the link and buying? 
I, I'm trying to do the math in my head, and I can't. Somewhere around uh, the average is about 68%. Holy cow. Yeah, that's that's yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty powerful. I mean, we hear stories all the time uh, about people sort of gaming the email list system um, through either advertising or Insta Freebie and things like that. And I, I always wonder what the quality of those leads are as compared to uh, the portion of your list that's just people that love your books. And that's all your list is, is, is people that love your books. So, Well, my thinking is that anybody that joins a mailing list through Insta, Insta Freebie, for instance, they join it to get something for free. And they're not going to buy anything. They're going to wait for you to send out another email that says something else is for free, and they're going to grab that. And I don't. the the only free The only time I give away free stuff is during a book buy ad, mm-hmm. and that's just to push sales of the books after it. Not only only the first two books have ever been in book bub. Okay, so we've had the twenty three thousand dollar month in August of twenty fourteen, and then you know that was an anomaly. And things sort of oh, get yeah, back to <laughs> things get back to normal, but I expect it's a new normal. I expect there was a stair step jump up from July of 2014. Yeah, it it jumped up a little bit from uh, I think June and July. I was barely making truck driver income, just mm-hmm. around four thousand dollars a month. And then after August, uh, September, and October, uh. It's hard to tell because I had another release in October, but September dropped back down to like six thousand, and it slowly started to climb after that with the new with the next release. Okay, so rolling into twenty fifteen, you've you've got presumably a publication process where there's some editing involved. Has that changed any from the second book where you had a, a friend's wife do it? Are are you have you gone out and and hired an editor to do this now or or is it still dealing with friends? She did the first three books mm-hmm. and then after that I needed something a little bit uh, more streamlined mm-hmm. and she she remained the the final proofreader but I hired uh, Clio Editing Services okay to, to do a comprehensive edit of the fifth book and uh, they did uh, books five six seven. And eight, and I think nine, and then uh, Tammy Lebrecht does, does uh, is, is my editor now. She's they're equal so far as quality. They're both great editors, but Tammy's a friend, and she knows how important and time is to me. And mm-hmm. I have I have I allot seven days for editing, and I have to have it done by the seventh day because I got other people after that that are scheduled. Okay. And so she's she's faster and she's uh, every bit as uh, competent. But uh, yeah, it's changed a lot. <laughs> what is your? How long does it take you to write a book? Uh, about three months. Okay, that would that would have been my guess. So is it three months writing, and then it's ready to turn over to the editor, or is it three months writing and then you're then you're polishing and then it goes to the editor? Is is the three months writing polishing? Well, I, I I polish as I go. Okay. Every every day when I sit down to write, I go back two days and read and edit the last two days' work before I start writing. That gets my head back into the story and kind of mm-hmm. polishes things up as I go. And by the end of the book, I've I've edited the whole thing twice. And then I just you know go back over it one time, you know shine it up a little bit, and then it starts a a month long process of beta reading. 
uh, editing, final proofreading, formatting, cover design. And that's all going on while I'm starting to work on the next book. Okay. And so in, in 2015, well, let's compare 2015 to today. You released uh, your latest book, Reckless Charity, the third book in the Charity Styles series uh, a, a month or so ago or maybe a couple of months ago. Compare that release process from a marketing standpoint to what you were doing in 2015. From a marketing standpoint, there's no difference. Uh, I, I, I don't do any advertising at all on a new release. It's all strictly – I send it out to my newsletter. They they buy it, and it's instantly in the top 200, and then organic sales take over. And then, of course, you know, the BookBub uh, new release uh, alert and then the Amazon new release alerts. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, somewhere around 3,000 followers on BookBub. And I wish we could find out how many followers we have on Amazon. Cause <laughs> I, I know it's a, I know it's a big number. It's got to be a big number. Is it your experience that BookBub alerts people faster than Amazon does? Yeah, a- Amazon promises uh, within seven to ten days, and they've never been any earlier than seven days. Uh, BookBub, as soon as you have a page count on on your Amazon page. You uh, claim it on BookBub, and it goes out two days later. So usually there, usually I can get a BookBub alert by day three or four, and Amazon by day seven. Do you do anything to drive your readers to follow you on BookBub? No. Uh, I know a lot of readers do that, but I would prefer they follow. If, if they're going to follow me and they're going to buy my book by clicking a link, I'd rather it be a link in my email because I make another six cents that way. i love it i love Uh, it (laughs) all the if you if you mind your pennies the dollars will take care of themselves Mm -hmm. all right so i mean we've had a lot of guests on the show who have had extraordinary success you are a person who's having extraordinary success um, but your path is a little bit different um you're not on the cutting edge from a marketing standpoint, you're not writing a book every three weeks. You've got the schedule. You're following your schedule. You're being consistent. Uh, how important do you think the consistency is to the success that you're seeing? Well, my readers would like it if I released a new book every seven days. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's, that's just not possible. I see these writers all the time that are you know, cranking out eight to 10,000 words a day and by the time I've written 1,500 words, my eyes are crossed. I'm burnt out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, m- maybe I'm, I'm writing differently or whatever, but I can't do that kind of pace. And uh, t- to me, the, the, just a consistent, you know, a new book every three to four months. It's what my readers have grown accustomed to after 13 novels. And so they're, they're expecting, you know, Three or four months after a release, I start getting emails say, hey, where's the next book? Let's roll into 2016 to kind of get everybody caught up on where you're at now. You've got 10 total in the Jesse McDermott series, I think. Was there one of those in 2017 or was the last one in 2016? Uh, the last one was in uh, November. Okay. December. Okay. Yeah. And then Charity Styles started in in 2016 and that was uh, a spin-off character a character that was in the books right in the jesse yeah. mcdermott books 
Yeah, she was she was a regular character in uh, what is now the third book, Fallen Hunter, through Fallen King, which is the sixth book. She's a helicopter pilot, uh, martial arts expert, and uh, she transports the Jesse and his team around, you know, to wherever they need to get to. Uh, and the whole team shares their strong points. You know, cer- certain people are, you know, a couple of people in the team are uh, snipers. So everybody learns to be a sniper. She's a martial arts expert. Everybody learns to be a martial arts expert. Uh, they're all, they all know um, a couple of members are uh, with the Coast Guard, small, uh, small boat uh, tactics. So they all learn that. So everybody's now well-rounded, and now she's been tapped to become a covert assassin for the CIA. So she disappears, and everybody's told that she stole the helicopter and ran off. And when in reality, that's nowhere near the case. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did this? Did the new series come from uh, readers? Did readers suggest that you develop this character more, maybe do a spinoff series, or was this just something that you thought you'd like to do? Um, I'm going to out myself. Uh, I'm copycatting Randy Wayne White, <laughs> which is great because I love those Hannah books. Yeah. Um, and his Hannah Smith character, it started yes. out kind of slow and yep. I, I thought I was going to have to force myself to read it, but the, he's, he's, he writes real well from a woman's point of view, which isn't easy. <laughs> Yeah, I I know when he started that, I kind of thought the same thing. It's like, oh, man, why are you doing this? Because all we really want are more Doc Doc Ford books. And I started reading it, and it's like, well, it's kind of okay. And then by the end of it, I was hooked on the character. And you start seeing seeing Doc in a different perspective. Yes. You start seeing him as, you know, not the undercover assassin guy, but as the boyfriend. Right. And she, she knows nothing about his background. And so, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. Uh, And have you ever been to Doc Ford's Run Bar? I have. My next step is sometime next year to open the Rusty Anchor Bar and Grill here in Beaufort. Ah, super cool. And, I mean, if Randy can make a success out of selling rum from from his fictional character, I can do it from a fictional bar. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, one of the things I notice – because I live in Southwest Florida and, and Randy lives in Southwest Florida, it, whenever I find someone that reads his books, I'll say, hey, do you like the Hannah books? And it's mixed. The reaction is mixed. Um, what's, what's been the reaction of your readers? Do they love it or are they, they kind of like, well, you know, it's okay, but I wish you'd write more Jesse? That's a real good question. Um, I thought that they didn't like it as much. But now I'm finding that it's not so much the Jesse readers that don't like it as much, but new readers are coming into the series through the charity books. And this late, this latest release was a prime example. In December, when uh, Fallen Hero was released, the first month after that was uh, somewhere around $35,000 gross. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, Reckless Charity's been out a month ago, a month tomorrow, and it's about equal for the two months total revenue. But then when I look at the percentage of sales in December, more than half of the total revenue was from that one book. Whereas wow. with with this charity release, only a third of the total revenue was from that one book. Mm-hmm. 
So she's because of the the visibility of this new book, a lot of people are buying. I mean, the first two books in the series have skyrocketed. They've gone from selling two to four a day to twenty to thirty a day every single day since the release. So a lot of people are buying into the charity series and then looking for other books by this writer and finding the Jesse series. Mm-hmm. So and now sales of the Jesse series are starting to climb because of charity. From a an annual revenue standpoint, um, can you sort of compare 2014, 2015, 2016? And you don't have to give total numbers, but just in terms of how how the growth has been. Um, real steady. Uh, the 20, 2014 was just a little over $100,000. Okay. And wow. 2015 was more than double that. 2016 was about 50% more, so that put it, that put me up to almost a little over 320,000. I'm looking for 2017 to be a half a million. Okay. Well, first congratulations. That that is astonishing oh, and uh, and wonderful yeah, tell and me about ins- it. <laughs> inspirational. Um, you know, one of the thing one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is a lot of the people that I've had on the show that are having outsized success are writing science fiction and fantasy. I mean, there are few people that I know of who are doing really well writing adventure uh, as indie authors, but only a few. And and when I saw some numbers that you posted in the 20 books group, I'm like, I need to talk to this guy. I think it's more of the like, for instance, I read specifically South Florida writers. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the event action adventure genre is huge. It's, you know, it's a big genre and there's a lot of readers, but those who read only South Florida are very few and Randy and, you know, Carl Hyacin and James Hall we, and all the others. Uh, well, uh, John Cunningham, Steve Becker, a couple of Indies that write from South Florida. We don't put out enough books to meet the demand. No, you're right. I, I, I am a person who also reads, I won't say exclusively uh, in that area, but whenever I see something, I, I read it. And everybody that you've mentioned, I've, I've read their books and enjoyed them, and I could, I could offer another half dozen names. But you're right. There aren't, there aren't enough. And the people – there's no one that I can think of that, that writes South Florida fiction that is a book-a-month guy or a, a, no, a, he, a every, every couple of weeks guy. So you're right. There, there is this incredible demand. Let's, let's talk about audio. You have – at what point did you add audio into the mix? Uh, we started recording the audio books um, 20, late 20, about, about in the middle of 2015. And we got caught up with the whole series by mid-2016. Uh, we could have caught up faster, but I just didn't have the funds available to pay my, my narrator. And uh, he was he was clamoring to do more and more. <laughs> give me the next one. Give me the next one. No, I can't give you the next one. I don't have the money to pay you for it. <laughs> so you did you did per finished hour. You didn't do revenue split. And I'm assuming that that is working out pretty well for you. Yeah, it's it, it can't it started real slow. I mean, I'm if I've if I broke even, it's very recently. Um, I put a lot of money into it, but uh, that's across uh, all the books. You, you're in the yeah. you're in the black on for all the books together now. All of them together now. That's pretty good. That's <laughs> pretty quick. And well, it, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty quick. But 
Today, it's averaging, you know, 20 to 30 uh, sales across all titles per day. And, and is that, that, that's, is that's that, pretty strong for the audio market. Is that a significant portion of your income or negligible? It's, it's more it's more significant than the paperbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could I wish there was some way I could move more paperbacks. That's the only thing, you know, that's the only thing separating traditional from indie authors. Yes. Uh, the, the traditional authors. I, you look at Randy Wayne White's books, well, on Kindle I outrank him across the board. But he's selling tons more paperbacks. His paperbacks are usually ranked better than his Kindle. Which is what the you know that's what traditional publishing wants. They want they they have this antiquated theory that print is still king. Yeah, and they they force it to be king by pricing the Kindle by pricing so the high. Kindle fourteen ninety nine and the paperback twelve ninety nine. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, or you can get the hardback for uh, fourteen ninety four, and, yeah. and right when it comes out, and you could buy it and resell it if you were crazy enough to do that. But yeah, it's it's interesting. How about um, you are exclusive to Amazon now. Have you always been Amazon exclusive? Uh, no. At first, uh, I, I was wide. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when Amazon announced, uh, well, at the time, it was only Kindle Owners Lending Library. When they came out with Kindle Unlimited, it was July 2015, I think. I took my books out of Kobo and Nook and everywhere else and put them in Kindle Unlimited at that time. Did you notice a significant difference in, in overall revenue when you did that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't selling a whole lot. I was, you know, I was making two or 3000 a month. Mm-hmm. And, but I was, I was only making, you know, 20 or $30 outside of Amazon. And then suddenly with Kindle Unlimited, I was getting a dollar 34 per borrow. Mm-hmm. And it, the borrows were equal to the sales. And it, it was a no brainer. I was making three times as much money at least. Uh, by going exclusive, is that still the case today? Is are are you still seeing a significant portion of your income coming through KNP? Yeah, um, right now. Let's see, April. Right now, this month is forty point six percent of my total revenue comes from Kindle Unlimited. So almost almost half. Interesting. It, it's interesting to me the way different genres work in KNP. I've, I've talked to some authors who have tried to go Amazon exclusive, and it it hurts them. And I I believe them, but it, it's hard for me to see based on the people that I talk to, like you, who are just killing it. In in well, I've I've been in Kindle Unlimited since the start. Mm-hmm. I think that somebody coming out of uh, wide distribution going into Kindle Unlimited today is probably going to see a negative impact for a couple of months because the Kindle Kindle uh, the KU readers are very selective they they read only in KU people who buy only buy and th- those two that's two separate audiences so you have to start completely over with KU and find that audience again Interesting. And then you've you've got a, a third audience as well because you've got the audio audience. And I, I listen to a lot of audio books myself. And what I find is even if I've read the first four books in the series, if I listen to audio in the fifth book and I like the narrator, I will never read the book again. I will always listen. 
And yeah. so you, you've got that third group of readers that are probably like me that have listened to everything you've ever written on audio. Yeah, the audio books, I, I got amazingly lucky with, with my narrator, Nick Sullivan. He's, a, he's an award-winning actor. He's been on several uh, episodes of Law & Order. He's a stage actor and a veteran of over four or 500 audio books. He's been nominated for several audio awards. Uh, he's just a, and he's a great guy and he is, you know, he's, he's also a scuba diver. He's mm. been all over the Caribbean like I have. So he, he knows the difference between a Jamaican accent and an Androsian accent. Did you consider using a female narrator with the, um, with the second series? I did, but, uh, Nick pulls it off so perfectly. I mean, he is the voice of Wayne Stennett, mm-hmm. and so I I thought about it. I and when I came when it came time to make a decision, I didn't even open it to female narratives. Uh, I've talked to a lot of other people, and most people prefer male narration, whether it's a from a, a female perspective's book or not. And it it, it has worked really well with uh, with this new series. Yeah, probably especially in in the action adventure genre. I, I could I could see that. All right, final question for you, and this has been great. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started? That editing counts. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fantastic answer. <laughs> well, there, there's so many things, so many things. I mean, when I published published the first three books, I hadn't even discovered Kindle or Kindle boards. I, I hadn't even talked to another writer. I didn't realize that there was such a huge world of indie publishers out there. And had I found that first, I probably would never have written the second book. Because <laughs> there's there is a huge number of uh, writers who get completely delusioned. And they lose lose sight of their dream. And their dream is to be a published writer. And... A lot of them think that, you know, publishing one book and that accomplishes that dream. And, well, it does to an extent. You you are a published writer. But my dream was always to live the life of a published writer, to, to, to be a novelist. You know, Ernest Hemingway and all the great writers from back through time. And uh, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to. I wanted to be Papa Hemingway going down to Key West and going, you know, tuna fishing mm-hmm. and being able to do that on my writing. And uh, too many people lose sight of what their dream really is. And I always tell people, write it down. Write down what your dream is so that you don't forget. And it's just it, there, there's so many things that I would have would have preferred to do differently. <laughs> Uh, editing being the top, mm-hmm. but uh, I think just uh, researching and getting in touch with other writers would probably top be at the top of that list. How do you how do you best communicate? And I know I said that was the last question, but you, you mentioned staying in, in in connection with other authors. How do you how do you best do that today? Well, it, it had been through Kindle boards for a long time, but uh, I've kind of moved away from Kindle boards. There's just once you get to a certain level of success, there's a 
you know, that big green ugly monster rears its head. Mm -hmm. And anytime you say anything in public, people are going to twist it and turn it. And so now most of most of my interaction with other authors is through uh, private Facebook groups. I'm a member of several, uh, not just private, but secret Facebook groups. So Mm -hmm. you can't even you can't even know about Right Club because the first rule of Right Club is you don't talk about Right Club. <laughs> that's that's not the name of the group, but that's... <laughs> I think we get the point. Hey, Wayne, this has been absolutely terrific. What's the best way for listeners to keep up with what you're doing as a writer? Uh, go to my website. It's www.waynestennett.com, all one word. And uh, uh, follow me on Facebook, Facebook. Uh, I'm not real active on Twitter. I, I tried that and got 25, 30,000 followers, but it's mostly other writers. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny how that works. All right, I will link all of that up in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for being here. And for those of you out in the audience, thank you for listening. As always, we'll have links to everything we've talked about in the show notes at theauthorbiz.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>